grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 502 years ago this week, a young Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther made the hammer sound heard around the world. See, it was on October 31st, 1517, that Martin Luther posted his 95 theses or arguments against the sale of indulgences on the church door in his hometown of Wittenberg. And thus the international movement that we know of as the Reformation was born. See, Luther had been wrestling for years with the the nature of the gospel, with the character of God. He was an Old Testament professor, actually, and he had been studying the scriptures intently for years. What he had always heard is that we have an angry God who is refusing to acquit sinners unless they can make satisfaction for their sins with their penance, or in the case of the indulgences, with their pennies. Okay? And Luther, he has this breakthrough to the gospel, reading scriptures like we heard from Romans 3 a moment ago, that we are justified by his grace as a gift, solely and freely through the merits of Christ. We are made free indeed, as Jesus says. When Luther comes to this breakthrough to the gospel, he realizes he can't let this false teaching stand any longer. And so he posts his 95 theses and says, no, here we stand. We can do no other. And ever after, Protestant Christians around the world, especially Lutherans, have celebrated October 31st. And I'm not talking about with the trick-or-treating. That's the day that the Reformation was born. But not everybody is celebrating. Not even everybody among within Christianity, or even Protestant Christianity, is celebrating this day, celebrating Reformation Day. For example, there's a, a theologian by the name of Stanley Hauerwas, who's a Methodist, and he writes this. He says, I do not like Reformation Sunday, period. I do not understand why it's part of the church year. Reformation Sunday does not name a happy event for the church. On the contrary, it names failure. And there was another guy, uh, author by the name of Brad Gregory, a few years ago, he wrote a book entitled The Unintended Reformation. The Unintended Reformation. And Brad Gregory traces all of our current secularism and even atheism back to, wait for it, Luther and the Reformation. Uh, But maybe the most provocative critique of Reformation Sunday, the most provocative critique of all that I have read was in an article a couple years back by a guy named Josh Gainig, Pastor Josh Gainig, who used to be a Lutheran pastor. He has since converted otherwise. And Pastor Gainig, he wrote that Reformation Sunday on this day, the color that we have for this day should not be red. It should be purple. Now, for those of you who haven't brushed up on your liturgical colors lately, Red is the color of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. It's the color of the martyrs and the mission of the church. Purple, on the other hand, is the color of contrition and sorrow. It's the color that we we bring out for the season of Lent. And so Pastor Gainig argues that the Reformation is not something to be celebrated. It's something to be mourned. And he wrote this, 
He said, it seems fitting that we Lutherans make our own mea culpa, our own my fault. It seems fitting that we confess our sins associated with the Reformation and especially our continued unkindness toward our brothers and sisters of other theological traditions. And wearing purple for Reformation may be a good first step. So should we change our colors for today? Should we be wearing purple rather than red? And I notice there's a little bit of sprinkling of both in the, in the assembly today. But should we be putting away the, the red for reformation and instead bringing out the purple? Should this be a day that we celebrate or a day that we mourn? Now, I'll give you a quick spoiler alert. It probably won't surprise you to learn that I disagree with Pastor Gainig on this score. That I think we should keep our red, obviously, and celebrate this day, but not for the reasons that you might think. See, we've got to start by admitting that there's actually a pretty persuasive case to be made for the purple. In other words, there's a persuasive case to be made that this is a day that should be mourned rather than celebrated. And you can make the case very simply. I mean, if you're to walk down a main street in just about any town in America other than Arcadia, um, you're going to see all sorts of Christian churches, aren't you? You're going to see your Roman Catholic church and your Methodist church and your Lutheran church and your Episcopal church and your African Methodist Episcopal church or even you know, all of the branches of so-called non-denominational churches. There are more flavors of Christianity than there are flavors of ice cream at Baskin-Robbins by a factor of about 1,000, actually. Some research says that there's about 30,000 denominations in the world today. Now, go back instead to the year, say, 1516 in Europe. And if you were to walk down the street of a European town then, how many different churches are you going to see? One. The Catholic Church. Now, there was also the Eastern Church and Orthodoxy, but we're just not going to talk about that right now. Okay. In the West, anyway, in Europe, in what was called Christendom, there was just one church. It was the Catholic Church. And that gave a powerful testimony to the world, just as Jesus had prayed that his church would be one. It sent the message to all the world, here is the one united Christian Catholic Church. That's powerful. And so when Luther comes along and the, the other reformers in the Reformation and suddenly they start preaching and teaching about the gospel and the recovery of, of the truth of God's word and whether they intended it or not, basically lop the top off of the dandelion so that now Christendom gets uh, splintered into 30,000 different denominations. Well, that does seem like something that should be mourned that now that United Church is utterly and totally divided. So let's be clear on this score. That is something to be mourned. A separation is never celebrated. And I'll say this too. I think for maybe too many Protestants, including Lutherans, we define ourselves just in the fact that we're not Catholic. But you know what? Luther and his uh, compatriots, they weren't out to start a new branch of Christianity. I mean, it's been said before, it can't be said enough. They sought to reform the church, not to start a revolution in the church. It wasn't a movement to throw the baby out with the bathwater, as weird as that image is. They wanted to keep the baby. 
They wanted to keep the truth, the vital center of Christianity. They weren't trying to start a new church, but to recover the truth of the gospel as it had always been taught by the church, but it had been corrupted and perverted. So yeah, we ought to mourn the fact that the church then and today is divided. A separation is never celebrated. But this also has to be said. A supposed unity that is founded on false teaching and manipulation and coercion is not in itself a unity to be celebrated. You with me here? That this beautiful cathedral of Christianity in the Middle Ages was in fact founded on a crumbling, broken foundation because it had covered over the truth of the free forgiveness that is given in Christ. And so however attracted that unity might have looked or seemed, it could not stand. It could not stand because it was founded on falsehood and on lies. Eventually, the truth had to be outed, that in the midst of all of the, that uncertainty that was rampant through all Christian, Christianity, as God's people were doubting and wondering, am I really saved? Am I beloved of God? Now, the gospel truth was able to break through, and that is why we celebrate today. We don't celebrate the mere fact of the Reformation or that there was broken up into so many different branches of Christianity. We celebrate the fact that God's word forever shall abide, even despite us. You know, Luther and the other reformers, they never wanted to forget what it was that they were fighting for, what the Reformation was really about. And so they had this slogan, we might call it today, and even a kind of, of logo and their slogan in Latin was Verbum Domini Manet in Eternum, VDMA, which means the word of the Lord abides forever. If you look at the front of your worship fold, you have that, that uh, logo, so to speak, that was all rampant throughout uh, Europe at the time of the Reformation. VDMA, the word of the Lord abides forever. As our Lord Jesus said, all those who abide in my word, they shall be free indeed because his word, our Savior Jesus, he is the one who abides forever. It's as it says in Romans 3 that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the blood of Christ. That speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, it says in Hebrews. That is a word that abides forever. It's like we said in the psalm, Psalm 46, which incidentally is a very fitting psalm these days around western Michigan, that though the mountains shall be moved into the heart of the sea, we shall not fear. Because God has made his promises that endure forever. His word is fixed and nothing and no one can move it. That's why we celebrate today, see? Because of that abiding word that lasts forever. Luther himself would never cease to say this. People, people would ask him, especially later in his life, how did you do it, Martin? How did you manage to pull off the Reformation and put an end to the corrupt papacy? And at least one time, Luther responded like this. He says, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And he says, while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, 
The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. The word did everything. The word does everything. That abiding word of God does the work. It's the word of God that makes you holy and that makes you holy his. It's the word of God that puts you in the right with God. That is the right word of God to be taken to heart now and forever. All of the machinations of men, all of our good works could never avail before the heavenly father. But you have a work that avails eternally. The work of Christ Jesus. Through his cross, through his death and resurrection, you have been made holy. Your sins are forgiven now and eternally. You need not fear. You need not wonder. You need not doubt. You don't have to beat yourself up or do that self-flagellation as Luther was so prone to do, wondering, can I really be accepted by a just and holy God? The righteous God has given you his righteousness through his son. Or as they would often say in the Reformation, it's the happy, blessed exchange you trade Jesus all of your sins, and he trades to you all of his righteousness. It's an unfair trade, friends. But it is good news for you and for me. That even in spite of us, God's word forever shall abide. The story is told about Napoleon. And you remember Napoleon the diminutive leader of France who supposedly had a complex about his size. Uh, he was also, you might know, rabidly anti-Christian. He was ferociously anti-Christian throughout his life. And uh, he was, a story goes that one time he's talking to a bishop, a pastor of pastors, and he's saying to this guy, he's saying, you know, <clears throat> if I want to, I can destroy the church. Usually not a good way to lead into a conversation, but he would say things like this. If I want to, I can destroy the church. The implication, of course, was you, leader of the church, need to, to fall in line. You need to get in tow. You need to follow what I'm going to say and tell you to do if you want to still exist. But the bishop responds to Napoleon and he says to him this. <clears throat> My dear Napoleon, for 1,800 years, the church, and especially we clergy, have been doing everything that we can to destroy the church. <laughs> we have not succeeded, and neither will you. What he was saying is that, look, we are a sinful, frail people. We've done everything in our power seemingly to undercut the power of this church. But still, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through that fixed and abiding word of God, the gates of Hades do not prevail against this church. Reformation Day is not some backslapping parade where we walk down the street and say, hey, check us out. Aren't we smart? Aren't we faithful? Aren't we wise? It's just the opposite. It's a day where we celebrate the abiding word of God that in spite of all of our backbiting, bumbling, failing ways, still God is faithful to his promise. Still his word abides in spite of us. Still his love endures forever. His faithfulness knows no end. That's why we celebrate today, friends. So put away your purple until Ash Wednesday. Keep that red. Because today is a day to celebrate, not to mourn. 
not for Martin Luther or the Lutheran Church. We can be grateful to God for these imperfect vessels of his message. We celebrate today because of the abiding, enduring word of God that never fails. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.